This morning we will be going through the first part of Acts chapter 2, but here in a few moments and we'll be reading all of Acts chapter 2. You've heard the first 11 verses already when Adam read, but before we go into that and before we read that, I would like to first spend some time talking about the things that occurred throughout the Old Testament that preceded the Pentecost and that Pentecost is actually a fulfillment of. So it won't just have you stand right away and going into Acts chapter 2, and, but we'll do that in a few moments. First of all, I'd like to ask you all a question. I'd like to ask you, what comes to mind when you hear the word Pentecost? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of Pentecost? Tongues of fire. What else? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Have any of you all had any uh, history and experience in being in a Pentecostal church or have family members that were in a Pentecostal church? What kind of things do you think of when you think of Pentecostal? Speaking in tongues. tongues. Prophecy. Prophecy. Fervor. Fervor. I had a few family members and a few friends that were parts of uh, different Pentecostal churches in the area. And... um, um, I would, the word comes to mind, and my mind is wild, <laughs> because from my experiences of going to some Pentecostal churches, and I think that all of the things that were mentioned just now are normal things that come to mind. The spirit, tongues, fervor, energy, fire, those are very common things to associate, and in many respects, rightly so when we think about the word Pentecost. The church has remembered Pentecost from its very inception. This is something that even goes beyond the New Testament church and is being fulfilled and culminated in the moment of Pentecost that we're going to be reading about in Acts 2. But I hope that today, though it may seem a bit mundane and may not seem as exciting, I hope that today that when you think of the word Pentecost, that at least in addition to your vocabulary of thought of what you would normally think about when you hear the word Pentecost is actually what the word means. Can anybody tell me what the word Pentecost means? What's that? 50. That's right. It means 50. It is representing 50 days. 50 days since Passover. And if you know the feast of the Old Testament, you know that the feast of weeks was celebrated 50 days after Pentecost as the culmination of the feast of first fruits that began right after Pentecost, the week of Pentecost. 
And so what we're going to do a little bit is go and look at that because I think that when we think about Pentecost, I think it is essential and necessary for us as a New Testament church that are a few thousand years away from this particular moment that we would know what was actually going on because there is so much packed in Acts chapter 2. There are so many things coming to a head, so many things that are being represented, so many things that are coming to its explosion. Talk about fervor and fire. There is just an atomic bomb of teaching and communication and completion and power being poured out in Acts chapter 2 that I think if we limit it just to some of our experiences and some of the things that we hear concerning Pentecostal or just thinking about tongues alone, we would miss the tremendous activity of what was accomplished at Pentecost, but what is fueling the church today. It is important to think about 50. It is important to think about what was going on in the Old Testament that preceded and was actually shadowing what was going to come with the coming of Jesus Christ. I hope that some of you have your Bibles with you today because I think it would be good that you try to read along with me because I think it would enter into your mind even more to think about these things. Many of you surely have already studied these things, but it's good as we remember this, as the church remembers what was done at Pentecost and the next couple of sermons will be going further and further through chapter two and beyond. It is good to look at what was happening here and what Jesus was accomplishing Back in Exodus chapter 34, we see one of the places where God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel the instruction and the command to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. In Exodus chapter 4, verse, excuse me, chapter 34, verse 21, it says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time, you shall rest. You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering at the year's end. Three times in a year shall all your males appear before the Lord God and the God of Israel, the God of Israel, for I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land. When you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. When God gave these commands to the people of Israel, it is after they had received their salvation and freedom from their enslavement in Egypt. God was giving them the law. God was presenting before them his character and his presence. At the end of the giving of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, it said that the people of Israel told Moses to be the one to go and that they would stay far away from this fiery, thundering, powerful God because they were in fear and that they would prefer to stay far away from his wrath. 
They saw this fire and this power that represented and was presenting and proclaiming before God's people his power. And Moses brought to them the law of God and the call to celebrate and the promises of what he was going to do to receive glory in and through these people. But it was going to be incomplete. Though Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law, which was ultimately bringing a representation of the righteousness dwelling amongst God's people, they were still going to be at a distance. There was something that needed to be done that would allow them to be able to have access to this powerful God more than just through the access that Moses had. If you look at this particular chapter, you will see, or this particular passage, you will see a couple of things that are repeated. One, the Sabbath instruction that is built into these particular festivals. There is this call to rest in the work of the Lord. To remember what the Lord did in creation, to remember what the Lord had done in their salvation from the nation of Egypt. To remember God's provision and to rest in it. To remember his provision of their nurture through grain and through bread. As this was the culmination of their first fruits of their actual harvest of the food that they were going to eat. They were also instructed in numbers along with that to bring forth offering in Numbers chapter 8, 20, excuse me, 28, starting with verse 26. It says, on the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord at your feast of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, but offer a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, also their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each bull, two-tenths for one ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, with one male goat to make an atonement for you. Besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering, you shall offer them and their drink offering. See that they are without blemish. This was a time of thanksgiving for what God had done, and it became synonymous with the celebration of God presenting his law before them. They had the right response to the wrath and the power of God by bringing forth a sacrifice as God instructed them to provide a sacrifice on behalf of them and their sin. To bring an offering of a recognition of thanksgiving of how he had provided for them and for them to rest in what he has accomplished in what he was going to accomplish. It's interesting in that past passage in Exodus that you also see this reference that I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. It's something for us to remember and to have in our mind as we get ready to read Acts 2 here in a few moments. 
That at that time, as God was showing forth his power and his residence of his law was going to be before a particular people, he was telling them that he was going, telling them that they were going to drive out other nations and increase their borders. But we're going to see something really amazing happen that when we go into Acts 2, that he's not going to just cause the nations to be cast out. He's going to overtake them and increase his borders from one end of the earth to the other. Another thing to see as we go into Deuteronomy 16 and another account of this description of celebration of the Feast of Weeks, we see starting with verse 8 in Deuteronomy 16, again, for six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. There were unique things about the Feast of Weeks compared to a lot of the other festivals that he was gathering all the males together, all of the men of Israel together. Some of the other festivals and even Passover you were to celebrate within your home. Here he was drawing forth a convocation and the assembly of all his people. And again, this command to rest from their labors, to rest in the Lord. Furthering in that particular passage with verse 9, it says, You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seventh week, seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. We see some similar things again here about the grain offering to remember this first fruit of the harvest of God. But we see something, again, unique about this particular festival because unlike with Passover, there is this expansion of inclusion of people that are not included in Passover. You see this bringing in of the sojourner and the fatherless, this call to invite and include the widow among you. Of course, if you've had a fresh study of the Gospels, you can see that Jesus' ministry is very much aimed in this way. All of these things, from our perspective, post-resurrection and reign, we look back and we can see these seasonings inside of these feasts that are pointing to something more magnificent that they would have been given a command to and they experienced to a taste, but that they did not see in the fulfillment as we do here from our perspective on this side of the gospel. What was going on here 
was a shadow and a preparation for a work and a celebration that needed to be done by Israel that they were not going to be able to do without corrupting it. It's automatically pointing to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at Numbers 15, starting with verse 11. Thus it shall be done for each bull and ram, or for each lamb or young goat, as many as you offer, you, or so shall you do with each one, as many as there are. Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, an offering a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But then get this. And if a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you, the native Israelite, and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns for you, with you. This is what the Israelites celebrated year after year. Remembering this time, remembering their time of their salvation from the Lord, but receiving in this celebration as they were thinking about what had happened in the past from Egypt and what had happened immediately from the harvest that was being shown forth to them right then as they were eating and as they were providing offerings of the first fruits to the Lord. This was teaching them and teaching us things that were going to be way beyond what their imagination could ever see. They would fail time and time again in keeping these feasts. They would corrupt these feasts so much that in time, God says, I am growing weary of your celebration of these remembrances because of your wickedness. As God presented his laws and as he presented his celebrations, the people of God would keep falling short. They would keep failing. They would keep corrupting the name in which God blessed them with to bear, to proclaim among the nations. But as we go through the prophets and as we see in the prophets the judgments that would come because of their rebellion, these prophets would keep promising that someone, that a king, that a Messiah would come and would be able to heal them, to be able to fulfill obedience to the law and to the celebration of these feasts. It is not by happenstance that in Jesus' ministry, that when he gave the Lord's Supper at Passover, that it was Jesus that was fulfilling the command and the call to celebrate these feasts. I'm gonna stop there 
And I'm going to ask you to stand now as we read Acts chapter 2. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra and Paphila, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and on your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, in signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised them up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also would dwell in hope, 
For you will not abandon my souls to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far, who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship of the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, any who had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, it would be great to go back just for a moment to go through and to stand at the base of Mount Sinai to see your power there. It would be great to participate in these feasts of celebration and in Thanksgiving. It would be great to have been in that room with these disciples, these women, these 120 plus in Jerusalem when flaming tongues of fire came upon them. But Father, most of all, we ask now that you would increase our faith and our hope and our understanding by the proclamation of your word that we would understand that your spirit is still at work and that we 
are tapped into this as your people. And we are called to have the same hope of the same power transforming and cutting hearts and bringing people to salvation. Father, increase our faith now. According to your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It took Jesus Christ to fulfill the faithful fulfillment of the celebration of this particular feast. When Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, there was a lot going on there that is not just a general understanding of him dying for our sins, which is the most amazing thing in the world. But he was being planted. He had said before that particular moment that unless a seed dies and goes into the ground and raises up, there is no hope. Israel had been celebrating from Passover the first fruits. Immediately after that, a week is a feast of first fruits. They are looking forward to that grain being raised up out of the ground and then they will take that and they will provide their first fruit offering to the Lord at the Feast of Weeks. We could not, as humans corrupted by sin, we could not fulfill faithful presentation to God of our first fruits. Jesus had to come. Jesus had to die. He did not only come and celebrate the most faithful Passover, he made himself the very seed that would be the first fruit. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Rediscovering it in the study of this particular passage, it came out strong for me. I love what Liz said to me when the fruitfulness of the day. I am sneezing my head off like crazy right now because of this season of allergies. There surely has got to be more birds than ever because there is more bird poop than I've ever seen on our porch. <laughs> it is a fruitful bursting time. What a time to be thinking about what the Lord accomplished for us and what is being shown forth here in this passage. I want to share with you what I see that you may have also seen before as we go back and we look at what Israel was celebrating and repeating in their liturgy year after year and then to see what Jesus accomplished. We need to remember that Pentecost means 50 days because we need to remember what Jesus accomplished from the 50th day from Passover. That he was in the midst of doing the things that was commanded at Mount Sinai that we could not accomplish. And the amazing thing is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 12, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed... Now, I want to stop. I've already forgot to tell you something. Look at how many times Paul says the word raised in this particular passage of Scripture. 
And thinking about the harvest, thinking about the blooms and the flowers and the, the gardening that's going on right now and the bursting forth of seed. Look here what Paul is saying to us as he writes to the church at Corinth. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be mis misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came to death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Christ all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he most must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things were, are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things and subjected under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son of himself will also be subjected to him who put all things and subjected under him, that God may be all in all. Paul is using this word raised, 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 raised. And when we think about this particular celebration, one of the things that we should be thinking about is Jesus Christ being raised as this first fruit offering to God. Jesus Christ not only became the most obedient in fulfilling this, he became the very offering and sacrifice that all those sacrifices were representing. He made himself the sacrifice. And when you read John 17 in the high priestly prayer, he is praying in preparation for that very harvest that his death, his seed, his planting, and his raising, his bursting forth from the ground would bring for the glory of the Father. Our offerings would be tainted with our sin. Jesus' offering would cleanse every single one of our tainted offerings.
That as Israel stumbled in their sin, as they tried to keep these particular feasts and celebrations, we too, as we are sitting here right now, each one of us tainting our praise and our prayers and our worship of him with our own sins, he is washing over them by what he did in the celebration, the ultimate celebration of this feast. This Pentecost is the great festival of weeks. And what he is doing is he's taking that representation of how Israel would remember that this was the giving of the law. This was the presence of the Lord, but such a presence that if they even touched the ark a certain way, they would die. Get what he's doing. He's taking that fire. He is promising that fire that was a fearsome fire on Mount Sinai. And before he went to the cross, he says, I am going to send you this fire and it will be a comfort to you. This power of God, this mighty power of God that Israel feared is now going to become a comfort And Israel will not have to stand back in fear. He will place this powerful fire upon their heads and on their tongues, in their dreams and in their visions. And he will proclaim that powerful fire through sons and daughters, male servants and maidservants, Sojourners, strangers, enemy nations now conquered by Christ and the Holy Spirit, bringing forth the first fruits, sharing forth the first fruits in what Jesus did. He not only made himself the offering, he now bundles up his people. And he presents his people, just like he said in the prayer, he says, I have not lost one of them except the son of perdition, and they are yours. You become that offering that Jesus accomplished and won. And we see here the fulfillment of that right at the moment of the celebration. We see the gathering of God's people that once was just for men is now the men and women. It's very purposeful that we are told that the women were there praying with them. And he is pouring it out on all of them, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel. As those fiery tongues laid upon them, what once was placed in the garden to guard Adam and Eve from being able to have access to God, the flaming sword that was in the hands of the cherubim is now being placed upon the people of God to proclaim his might and his mercy to all people. So that moment... That moment that we see people speaking to one another with these flaming fiery tongues upon them and they were understanding the mighty works of God. It is not confusion. It is not craziness. It is not the the things that you may have experienced 
in things that have been associated with Pentecost. It's clarity. It's life. It's access. It is the power of God dwelling among people through his word. What was a law that once killed is now a law that brings forth life because Jesus accomplished it and it is actually him and through his spirit that dwells and breathes life into us. Everything that we once feared is now passed away in Exodus chapter 33, one of my favorite passages, in verse, starting with verse 7, it says that now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door. And watched Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. The people of Israel, they got up and they worshiped the Lord, and they, they would get up every time that Moses was able to enter into the tent and, and speak with the Lord face to face as a friend. They stood there amazed from a distance. Still remembering the fire on Mount Sinai, watching as the pillar of cloud came down and dwelled amongst the tent with Moses, Joshua having the benefit to being near the tent, but everybody else had to worship and celebrate from afar. Here in this moment, we see a continuation of the tearing down of the barrier of our sin between God and man. We see that now God is dwelling inside of his people in a way more fulfilled and more magnificent and more in completion than ever before. That the very power that could be wrath is now a power that will fuel the church that will fuel and give life to the people. They get to eat the first fruits that were for God, that is God. Can you see what Israel was trying to bring? They're bringing the offering with their sin and their failure, but they even kill. And Peter is reminding them, Here's the lamb that you crucified. Here is the first fruits that you destroyed. But guess what? That seed had to go into the ground and now has burst forth. And he has fulfilled his promise to send his spirit. And it is descending upon his people here in this moment. It said there were those that were there that were perplexed. And some were mocking. 
See, here's the distinction of what you might have in your mind when you think of wildness. I was talking to some people yesterday and we were talking about the experiences of seeing people speak in the tongues and it was confusion and craziness. And what we would see here, it says that there were people who did not understand. They said they're drunk and they're filled with new wine. See, it's the opposite of way around because for those who are in this moment, it is not a moment of confusion. For those who have received this, they will be in a moment of clarity. It is not like what you might have seen. I'm not saying that God is not using the people who participate in services like that. I'm saying that it is a distinguishing thing from what happened here. This was a representative moment of completion for what God could only do through his son. But it is still dwelling in us. It's dwelling in us right now. As I read the words to you, there's going to be a distinction amongst some of you. Some of you, this seed, this powerful word, this fire of God, this dwelling of God, it will not sink into the heart. Some of you, it may be seasonal where it does not seek, sink into the heart and change the heart. Some of you will understand and you will be moved by the Holy Spirit, not moved by me or any capacity that I have, but by the power of the word and the spirit, it will transform you and you will be cut to the heart. That spirit is alive today. That spirit is what draws you to him today. That spirit is the one that might be convicting you of sin in your life today. Peter responds when they say, what are we supposed to do? I am cut to the heart. I hear it. I see it. I understand it. I am amazed. I'm in awe. What am I supposed to do, Lord? And he says, repent and be baptized. Follow after the Lord and hope in the promise that the Spirit will transform your life, will guide your life, will equip your life, will feed you and nourish you, and will make you a proclamation of his might and glory throughout the world. God is conquering over both in representation and both in reality at this moment, and it is the foundation for where we are today. It may not have that same effect on us that they had on them in seeing this representation being put forth. But for those of you who can look back and get a big picture of what the Lord is doing in your life and what the Lord has been doing in the people of God's life and what the world has been doing in our nation and what the world has been doing in our world, I promise you, if you could get that aerial view of what God is doing, you will see miracle upon miracle. See, what will go on that after we leave this particular time today in worship, we will have a fellowship meal, very similar to what they were doing, breaking bread and fellowshipping with one another. And it says what they were doing when these fiery tongues were poured out upon their head, <coughs> they were sharing with one another 
the mighty works of God. Do you want to see the spirit work amongst you? Do you want to see what is going on? Do you want to see people being brought to the Lord? It's as simple as that. One, remember what the Lord has done for you. This was a feast of thanksgiving of the Lord's provision and salvation. Two, use your tongue. (laughs) Use your tongue to not only taste his goodness, but to proclaim his goodness to one another. As you sit with one another, as you feast with one another, proclaim to him, to, to each one another, the salvation of the Lord. As we go to this table, we are participating again in a feast. The Lord is constantly reminding us from the very beginning of time that he desires to dwell with his wife. He desires to dwell with his people. He he desires to dwell with the body of Christ. He desires to dwell with you. For those of you who responded like Peter told the men and women there to respond with repentance and faith, come and dwell with the Lord at his table. Let us do so now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. And we thank you for sending us your Spirit. Give us the hope. Give us the power. And Father, I nervously ask that you would give us the glory to be faithful before you and before this world in the proclamation of the gospel of your Son. Manifest yourself in us today by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and let us thank the Lord.